If you had to choose a pro to model your game after, who would you choose? I know I have some ideas and I know that they have impacted my game in different ways, but I'm interested to hear from you. Go ahead and comment down below, who are you trying to model your game after? Hey everybody, what is up? It's Antonio. Welcome to episode 29 of Teach Play Disc Golf. I am so excited for this week's episode. We have some different things to talk about this week. We uh, definitely still have some things that are following our normal agenda, but the topics themselves are slightly different. We have a disc golf skill that's going to talk about modeling our game after pros. After that, we're going to talk about what it's like to tour as a pro. Now, I'm not a touring pro, so this is a pro tip from Chris Dickerson, and I'm super excited to share what he had to say about this topic. After that, we're going to recap Maple Hill. I am so excited to talk about it. And then we will preview the USWDGC that is taking place on Thursday, the day that this podcast drops. So let's go ahead and let's get right into it. Okay, I asked you at the very beginning of this episode, who would you model or who are you modeling your game after? And, you know, sports is a comparison game. We are constantly comparing people all the time, whether it's ourselves or whether it is others. Think about prospects, you know, in baseball resembling uh, pros uh, in the majors. We have rookies, whether it's in uh uh, football or basketball rookies saying hey they have a similar play style to these legends of the game and then probably one of the most common debates that we've had recently in comparison in sports is MJ versus LeBron who is the goat of basketball now we may have opinions about that but that's not the focus here all I'm trying to point out is that comparison is part of sports and that's okay it's it's never ending this podcast is not going to put an end to comparisons but i want us to just think about pros that we try to emulate pros that we try to model our game after something i want us to think about is is it healthy and is it actually good for our game you see in disc golf it's easy to watch a pro and say I want to do that. And I saw Drew Gibson do it that way. Paul Macbeth do it that way. Kristen Tatar do it that way. Owen Scoggins do it this way. So let me throw like them. Let me throw exactly like them. Because if that's how they do it, that's how I should do it. And it's natural for us to want to imitate some of these role models. Imitate our idols in different sports. It's, it's common to want to imitate these specific skills. Now, for a small percentage of people out there, when they're imitating their idols, it actually works for them. Uh, something about it is the movement, the, the language that's used, it, it works for them. But for the vast majority in my experience, it doesn't. It doesn't work for all of us. And there's one reason why, if we're looking at big, broad statements and not, and not getting into the nitty-gritty details of it all, the big reason why is that we all have different bodies. The way someone else throws the disc is while I may try to emulate 
specific things about them uh, or about their throw, it does. it's not going to naturally translate because my body moves differently. See, we tend to try to mimic the process, in this case, the form, but that's not as beneficial as mimicking the principles. So really what we have here is a discussion of process versus principles. And I want to encourage you to um, allow the processes to inspire you and to motivate you, but focus on the principles. And here's what I mean. Pros as a standard have good form. You're not throwing at that level with that consistency. If you don't have good form, if you don't have the fundamentals down in your throw, but instead of hyper focusing on one pro at a time, I want us to encourage. I want to encourage us to pay attention to common themes, these principles that we see among all the different pros. Mimic the things that you see a lot of the pros doing at the top level. I've had this discussion uh, multiple times over the years running a YouTube channel. You know, uh, I'll talk about a general skill, let's say. And someone will say, you know, James Conrad does it this way. Eric Oakley does it this way. Garrett Gerthy does it that way. um, So on and so forth. And I mentioned those three players specifically because they have some of the most unique forms or approaches to the game than some other players. And while it works for them, throwing the way Eric Oakley throws is not necessarily going to be uh, the best way for all of us to throw. It works for him. It works for the way he learned how to play the game. But that just because that little hop step that both he and Garrett Gerthy do and how Eric flings his left arm up really high doesn't mean that we do that and we're going to get the same result. For a lot of these players, it's about timing and comfort and muscle memory. So uh, we want to mimic the things that we see a lot of pros at the top level doing specifically in the principles because we're all going to have our idiosyncrasies and variations and nuances in our form, but it's the principles that are the same. For example, if I had two silhouettes of two different disc golfers, so meaning silhouette is just a black figure, basically a shadow, okay? And so you don't know who they are by looking at them, but I showed you their form in silhouette. And let's say it was Calvin and Anthony Barilla you would know exactly which one is which just by their silhouette. You would be able to tell the difference. Same thing if I took Owen Scoggins and Kristen Tatar or Paul versus Ricky or Paige versus Kat. The silhouettes will be able to determine based on the variations in all of their forms who it is. But in all of those variations with all of the nuances that they might have, they have the same principles. And here are seven principles that they have. This is not at all exhaustive, but this is just overarching themes that I want to encourage you to pay attention to when you're looking at pros and how they throw. The first thing is the X step. We have some pros do quicker. We have some pros do slower. But the principle about the X step is as this transfer of uh, momentum and weight from one foot to the next, and there is a rhythm to it. Okay, and so you want to make sure that you have some kind of rhythm 
with your X step. The next thing is lower body engagement. Every single one of these pros uses the lower body to throw the disc. They are not relying solely on their arm. The third principle that we see with all of these pros, even the ones I haven't named, is that they their extension is out from their body, okay? Uh, I have been calling it extension now for the last several months, maybe even longer than that, instead of reaching out or reaching back, just to sort of uh, separate what I mean, because for the longest time I said reaching back. I don't mean that because people tend to think it means reaching directly behind you and reaching out might seem a little strange. So extending out from your body, every single one of these pros does that. You want to extend out from your body. With that lower body engagement in the second point that I made, the fourth point is this gliding forward. Now, maybe the term gliding doesn't help with you. Maybe it's transitioning your momentum, shifting your weight, gliding forward, basically moving into your brace leg. Uh, Every single one of these pros does that with the lower body engagement and they come forward onto their plant foot. With all of these things that I just mentioned, we then have the fifth thing, and that is this cascading effect that I've talked about several times that I learned from Cade Caps. And it's this cascading effect of everything starts from the ground and moves up. And so when I did the the baseball series videos, uh, there were two or three of them, basically talking about how swinging the bat in baseball uh, goes from your legs first, then your elbow or then your back or torso, then your arms and then your hands. It's this cascading effect of motion coming across the plate. Same thing with disc golf. It all starts from the bottom and moves up to your body. And that's how you get this sort of lag effect or rubber band effect, depending on what you like to call it, that we hear a lot of disc golf coaches talk about. And so you get that with the cascading effect. The sixth thing that we're going to see in any top tier pro that we're looking at is compact form. Now, I understand that there are some players out there, outliers, who may be able to throw with less compact form. For example, Juliana Corver. But don't forget, Juliana Corver is a five-time world champion, mainly from the 90s into the early 2000s. And she has won world championships in many disc sports. So she has had not only years of practice, but she's had a lot of different influences on her game and so her form is not nearly as compact she has a much more old school form and is uh, throws a little bit more loose kind of like uh, as if she were throwing a frisbee okay but for the most part we're going to see very compact form with players like Kristen Tatar, Haley King, uh, Paige Pierce, Katrina Allen, Ella Hansen okay these kinds of players we're seeing that compact form. And then the final thing, the seventh thing that you'll see, and like I said, this is not exhaustive principles. There's a lot more that we could dive into, but just overarching ideas, a clean follow through. Every one of these pros has a clean follow through. They're not hitting themselves while they throw and they're not stopping short uh, when they throw, which would cause injury and put a sudden stop in their movement, which would affect the disc's trajectory, accuracy, and power. 
a clean follow through is also one of the ways that you kind of know whether or not you threw a good, ironically, um, how you finish the throw is a good uh, indication of how well you threw it. Did you finish the throw well balanced? Did you um, finish exactly how you needed to finish on the throw? When you're throwing the forehand, was your chest pointed up at the sky, down at the ground, or directly at your target for it to help with that nose angle? So there are a lot of different things to, that are indicated by your follow through and a clean follow through helps you kind of get a good idea that hey i think i was successful with this throw so i want to just encourage you don't try to look like a pro because your body is very different than their bodies and they've spent time training you're spending time training and working on this it's okay to look at the processes or their form and say and be inspired by those things it's okay to do that in fact that's encouraged but don't get hung up on trying to throw like them in the sense of if we had two silhouettes of you and a pro that they would look identical. Instead, take these principles and apply them to your form and allow your body to indicate and dictate to you the best way for you individually to throw. And you're going to have way more success with uh, with your with disc golf, with your scores, with your form um, when you relinquish that uh, strict imitation of a pro and rather say, how can I take these principles and apply them to my game? You're going to have way more success doing that and see a lot more growth in your distance and accuracy and form. So I hope you guys found this tip helpful. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, it's a little bit different than some of the stuff we've talked about. It's not, it's a little bit more of a soft skill. There's this combination of this mental uh, mindset that you have to have, but also it works on the physical aspects of the game. And so I hope you found that encouraging. Um, I still want to know who are some of your role models when it comes to disc golf. And so go ahead and comment down below who are some of your role models? I'd love to hear about it. Who inspires you with your disc golf uh, journey? So let's go ahead and let's now talk about this really cool tip from Chris Dickerson. So last week I messaged Chris Dickerson and he is awesome and replies and interacts with his fans. And I just said, you know, hey, hey man, you've played disc golf for quite some time now. He's from Tennessee. He was, you know, doing he was basically a local pro for a long time, but he has traveled the country for quite some time now. He's won some pretty big events. And so I just asked him, what is it like to tour for years and years? Be on that touring grind. And then what would you tell aspiring amateurs about touring that you wish you knew when you were getting started? And not much uh, later, uh, Chris responded to me and it was super awesome. And basically what he said was, I did not like traveling in the beginning, but it has gotten better. When you have played an event for multiple years, you can look back on how you've done in past years and think about how you can improve this time around. And so, and then he finished up by answering that one of that last questions about aspiring amateurs. Getting sponsored is really about playing well and traveling to bigger events. So now some of these things might seem, oh, we've heard that before or a little generic, but there's a lot of truth behind it because this is coming from someone who said that he didn't like to travel a bunch. Um, 
I know that there were some rumors uh, in the past when he was on Prodigy and then switched to Discraft. I think some of it had to do that uh, Prodigy was just not willing to compensate him more to help him with touring or to give him a van or any kinds of those things where Discraft basically gave them like an RV, he and his wife uh, or something along those lines. So definitely there was, you know, he has experienced a difference uh, when your sponsor uh, helps a little bit more. Now he did say it's gotten better. Obviously winning is going to have a big impact on that. The more you win or the, the closer you place, especially in the top 10, the more money you make. And the more money you make uh, on the road, life is a lot easier. <laughs> you can afford gas, you can afford food, this, that, and the other thing. Um, but he said something that I thought was really interesting. And this is, you know, it requires you to tour for several years to reap this benefit but you will eventually reap the benefit. And he talked about traveling over the years gives you familiarity with different types of golf and courses. Uh, and that's me kind of paraphrasing and building off of that, but it's this idea that, hey, when we go to Smuggler's Notch every year, you play that course for the first time, even after a couple practice rounds, it's probably still gonna beat you up pretty good, especially if you're fairly new on tour. But when you come back the next year, and then the year after that, and then the year after that, and then you've played there for five straight years with uh, five years of practice rounds and then tournament rated rounds, you start to get better or you will be better. You're going to have a better understanding of the course, better expectations of what the course will look like, how you will perform your strengths and weaknesses, the best landing zones. You start to build a really full strategy when you tackle these courses. And so, that's one of the benefits of just going through the grind and touring and, and doing what needs to get done in order to win at the course, but also to have a successful touring career. Now, when you talked about getting a sponsored, something for amateurs that's really helpful, uh, and here's the thing, you can be sponsored and not be on tour, okay? So if you didn't know that, that's super helpful information. But getting sponsored by a uh, manufacturer who's going to basically compensate you, whether it's with disc sales or some kind of base salary or whatever it might be, depending on how the contracts are working in 2023, getting sponsored helps. Um, it, you know, there's just something to be said about making enough money. And when you normally start on tour, a lot of players who start on tour are not going to be uh, near the top. We've had a few anomalies over the years, but for the most part, that is, you gotta do local touring first. You know, Calvin Heinberg stayed in the Southeast for years, and then he started doing um, national tours. You know, uh, he was in college at the time. Same with Anthony Barella, he would travel here or there. Gannon Burr is an anomaly, one of the anomalies I'm talking about. Um, she hasn't played in at least a year, but Heather Young is another anomaly. She was in high school playing in the FPO field. So touring helps. Now, how can you do that? You have to play well. At the end of the day, to be a sponsored pro, excuse me, spons being sponsored helps. Uh, how do you do that? You have to play well and you have to travel to bigger events. There is a cost that you have to be willing to pay before you get any, before you can reap the benefits, reap the rewards from that. You need to go to where the quote unquote scouts are, 
Okay, if you're trying, if you're unsponsored, or maybe you're just sponsored by a local disc golf retailer, but you want to get sponsored by a manufacturer to kind of help and develop and build your career, you have to go where these major companies are hosting these bigger events. Obviously, you need to make sure you're good enough to play in them to catch their eye. But you have to go there as well. They won't hear about you if they don't see you play. Um, I I would be shocked if manufacturers will look at an Instagram profile and sponsor somebody who doesn't come on local tours or on the big nation tours and give them a bunch of money and a and a van and that kind of thing. Like they're gonna want to see you play. So eventually, you're going to have to make the commitment to travel before you even get a deal like that and so there's kind of you know going all in and that's why you know even though disc golf has been around for a while professionals it's a it's a risk it's a calculated risk and you see mainly younger people doing it because they are at a point in their lives where they could go and go all put all the chips in the middle of the table and um basically chase their dream that way. So you definitely want to make sure that you are playing well and you go to these bigger events. There's nothing wrong with big events around you, but going to things on the Disc Golf Pro Tour or big A tiers where other pros are going to be and competing with the best of the best, that's going to not only help you improve your skills, but you're also going to uh, get noticed. Now, uh, these this is Chris Dickerson talking about this, and I'm just uh, relaying the message to you. So I hope you guys found that helpful. I I know a lot of us are just you know really more looking to improve our game, be as competitive as we can in the in the local scene. But if you are looking to make it big, you want to be a touring pro. I hope you found this information helpful and that it was encouraging to you. And this is a lot of there are uh, concepts here that all of us can take. You know, it requires dedication no matter what we do in life, whether it's disc golf or our jobs or family and this and the other thing. So we have to be dedicated. So that's really the big thing here. Alrighty, so let's go ahead and let's talk about Maple Hill. I'm super excited to cover this with you guys. Maple Hill was wild. There was so much happening. The tournament started off great. The weather was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Everything was good. And then we had some horrible, horrible wins to the point where some players were questioning whether or not it was even safe enough for them to play. I know I saw Chandler Kramer specifically talking about this. Um, he shared some videos and the winds were wild. There was a tropical storm or a hurricane coming up uh, from the Atlantic up into the New England and Canadian territories and areas up there. Uh, so I'm glad that everyone was able to be safe. It Maple Hill definitely had a lot of different weather this weekend. And because of that, there were so many people in the running. Uh, by, by round four, the final round, you thought you had a good idea of who was going to win or who was really in the running. But at the same time, it was like, man, so much has changed. For example, FPO going, uh, let me think. I think going it was going into round two. Yeah, I think it was going into round two. Evelina Solonen had shot minus six round one. So going into round two, the leader was at minus six. The winning score for the tournament was minus seven. I mean, to think that someone was at minus six and then over the next three days of golf, only one stroke better, 
that's how you know the conditions had gotten so rough over the middle two days that so many players, especially in the FPO field, shot over par, which uh, de- which increased their scores. And then they had to climb back over um, really the course of the final round, but a little bit of round three as well, trying to fight the win as much as possible. There was a lot working against them. And I just thought that was incredible to think about like, wow, minus six going into round two and the winning score after four rounds was minus seven. That's just pretty wild to think about. So FPO had a lot of drama happening. The final round, there were some events that took place that I just couldn't believe. Um, Own Scoggins, I think it was a, a seven that she took. And you would think that she went OB multiple times because Owen is so consistent, not just with her throws, but with putting. But I'm pretty sure on that hole, I don't think she went OB. If she did go OB, she might have gone OB once. But even then, I don't think she went OB. She just three or four putted. She was inside the circle. This is Owen Scoggins we're talking about. She's leading the tournament at this point at minus six. I think Kristen Tatar is at minus five at this point. And she goes and three or four putts. And we're not talking like they were all long 30 footers, like 10 feet away. And she, <laughs> I feel bad saying this, but she went and pulled an Evelina Salon in and just completely whiffed multiple times. So a lot happened there in FPO. MPO was incredible. It was another chase card victory. Uh, I don't know how many that makes for this year, but Matteo from the chase card gets his first elite series victory, if I understand correctly, on the Pro Tour. He went minus seven on the back nine. He finished with a score of minus 23, which means that heading into the final nine, uh, the final back nine, he was at minus 16. Okay, which is still pretty good, but all the leaders at that point were around the same score, if not a little better or maybe a little worse, and several holes behind. And so really it was just looking like, okay, there's always a chance in that case for Chase Card to win, but the leaders having the same score, even though you're multiple holes ahead, typically it's going to favor the lead card, not in this case. Matteo got it. So excited for him. Something that's incredible about this, though, is that 7,413 days ago, Matt Oram competed in his first Elite Series event. Now, it was, I believe it was called the National Tour back then, but 7,413 days ago, for those of you who do quick math, that's over 20 years ago when he competed on the first pro tour version, whatever it was at the time, 20 plus years ago. Um, Super exciting for him to get that first win like that. Matteo is someone who's always kind of been more local touring pro. He's just always been well known for his personality and his performance when he did show up for the big events like Worlds. But super excited for him that he's been able to tour nationally for the last couple of years and everybody has gotten to know about him and he's just a really cool person. I love his personality. I think it's great. He's a lot of fun to watch. Very good disc golfer. And going back to what we opened this episode with about unique forms and that kind of thing, Matteo definitely falls under that category. And while his process, his form might be unique and could inspire us in ways, 
we want to make sure that we pay attention to the principles of his form, those things that we talked about and how he does all those things, just like all the other players. He just has his own nuances to it. So Maple Hill, though, I love this course. I got, like I said last week, I got to uh, play here two years ago. It's crazy to believe that it's been that long, but yeah, about two years ago. It's such a cool course, as you guys know. Uh, I will say, I'll iterate it again. The camera does not do hole 10 justice. That hole is so tough, so uphill, so difficult. Um, yeah, I will say that I've noticed a few slight changes just on the grounds themselves. Uh, some of the, uh, a lot of the commentators uh, mention these kinds of things, like a, a, a rock wall on hole two, I believe it is, uh, to prevent the rollers. So that's a change. And several of the holes actually sort of had wooden barriers put up um, to kind of prevent some rollaways on some tricky greens. I think that's a really good touch by Gage and the rest of the Maple Hill crew who uh, works on the course year round. I think that's a good touch. It's not necessarily making the course easier, but just more playable and enjoyable. You know, some of those greens are super slopey. And if you don't have something to kind of prevent ridiculous rollaways on what should be a good approach shot, it kind of makes it hard to enjoy a layout or, or a hole or a basket pin position. So I'm glad they made some of those changes. They cleaned up some of the areas um, and it just, the course looked so, so good. It looked like a lot of fun. Uh, some of those water shots are so, so ridiculously beautiful, but so difficult. Um, so that is the Maple uh, MVP open at Maple Hill. Let's go ahead and let's go through the results. So in MPO, like I said, we have Matteo in first place at minus 23. In second place, we had a little bit of a meltdown here with Aaron Gossage, who uh, was um, Aaron Gossage and Eagle McMahon, who were tied for second, minus 19. Multiple times, they just couldn't get it rolling. Then they took some double bogeys or a bogey here or there that just prevented them from shooting as well as they could have. Tied for fourth, we had Ricky Wysocki, Simon Lazat, and Calvin Heinberg at minus 17. Seventh place, we have Ben Callaway. We haven't talked about Ben Callaway a lot uh, this season. Minus 14 in seventh place. Eighth place, Ezra Robinson and Kevin Jones at minus 13. And 10th place, Alden Harris, minus 10. Another top 10 finish for Alden. So super happy for him. We had 11 strokes separating the top 10, which I feel like has been abnormal this season. We don't see that much separation in MPO. In FPO, we had Haley King in first place at minus seven. Tied for second, Kristen Tatar and Owen Scoggins at minus six. Fourth place, Evelina Solonen at minus three. And then fifth place, Holly Finley at plus two. Sixth place, Holland Hanley at plus three. Seventh place, Macy Bella Diaz at plus four. And then eighth place, tied for eighth, Hannah Blomroos, Valerie Mendejano at plus nine. And Ali Smith rounding out the top 10 at plus 10. So we had 17 strokes separating FPO and 11 strokes separating MPO. MVP open at Maple Hill is always a good time. It's always a lot of fun. A lot of fun to play. You know, when I have been there, it was a fun course to play. And it's definitely a uh, fun course to watch. Now, we have some pretty exciting stuff coming up this weekend. We have 
the USWDGC. Now, this changed a couple years ago where the men and the women used to play basically their version of the USDGC at the same time on the same weekend. It was complicated. It wasn't always uh, the best uh, for either side. And so they separated the two tournaments a few years ago. And the women now have an entire weekend dedicated to them, the USWDGC. It's also at a different course. This year, it's going to be at, it's in Burlington, North Carolina, at the, I have it pulled up here, uh, at the Cedar Rock course in Burlington, North Carolina. There are multiple courses there. I'm looking it up on uh, Disc Golf Scene and on PDGA. Uh, they're going to be rotating through some of the courses, uh, you know, like they do over a couple days. It's a four-day tournament starting on Thursday, which is when this episode comes out. And something that's really unique, and I believe it would be the first time in history, if I'm remembering the statistic correctly, Kristen Tatar is looking to be the first player ever. I don't even think it's happened in MPO to sweep all the majors in one season. There are four majors. She has won all three majors and she's looking to uh, get the fourth and final major this year and complete the first sweep in history. That would be awesome. Now this course is going to be challenging based on images and videos that I have seen. Based on what I've seen on U-Disc and the disc golf scene, there's a combo of wooded holes and open holes. It looks like the players are going to be challenged, but it looks like it's also gonna be really fun golf to watch. I am super excited to see what this tournament looks like and how it plays out. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So with that said, um, I will be making my picks Let's see. I uh, let me pull up the roster of who's playing. Uh, so with that said, I'm super excited about this. I am. A, I always love looking at new courses. I, I Cedar Rock sounds like a familiar course to me. I I don't know if it's been used years past for um, like the college. Uh, national championships or something like that it might have I'm not entirely certain but anyway I'm looking at the FPO field right now I got it one thing I didn't mention when going over Maple Hill I was absolutely shocked at how well owned Scoggins performed given her injury I I could not believe it I was not expecting her to play that well I thought hey she had to drop out of worlds there's no way that she's going to be able to perform and she did she didn't throw a lot of backhands even with the forehand she was starting to exhibit some some pain you know she was feeling it in her arm she's already talked about how she's going to push and grind through the last couple tournaments before taking several weeks off I hope she doesn't injure herself but I definitely can't count her out of the USW DGC she did not finish last year because of injury, I think it was her groin. So hopefully this time she can finish this year, but I'm definitely looking at Owen Scoggins, definitely looking at Kristen Tatar to, uh, to, to play well here. And I'm going to go with a player I haven't selected in quite some time to round out my top three. And I'm thinking Emily Beach, and there's a reason why. When we, when we had the Blue Ridge Mountain Championships, I think in like, uh, May, it was around that time in this part of the country. 
Emily Beach played really, really well. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see her play really well again. Um, and it would just be really cool. I believe she's lefty. It'd be, it's going to be really interesting to see how she tackles some of these holes. So I'm super excited for that. So I'm calling on... Uh, I think Kristen will probably win if I had to pick one, two, three. But uh, my favorites here are going to be Kristen Tatar, Own Scoggins, like everybody else. But then my dark horse uh, winner is Emily Beach. So I will uh, put those on UDISC uh, for the Grip 6 pick. And I'm super excited to see. I will share them on my social media, on my Discord. If you're not part of those communities, whether you don't follow me on Instagram yet or you haven't joined my Discord, links in the description to do that. Uh, that is everything, everybody. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed talking to you guys about it. Um, it was a lot of fun just dialing in or discussing this idea of process versus principles. And I hope that you were able to learn something that you could glean something from it to be helpful for your game. Um, I hope the, the tip from Chris Dickerson was super helpful. I know I found it super helpful. I would love to, you know, I'll, I'll admit it. I think a lot of us disc golfers would love to play professionally and that would be our full-time job. That would be really awesome. So it was great to hear from Chris Dickerson himself on kind of what that's like and how amateurs can work towards that kind of goal. And then we recapped Maple Hill and previewed the USWDGC, which I am so excited for. If you have not watched a lot of FPO competition this year, I wanna strongly encourage you to tune in to the USWDGC. These women are awesome, awesome disc golfers and I can't wait to see them play. So that's all I have for you today, guys. That's episode 29. I want to encourage you here at Teach Play Disc Golf to go out this weekend and teach someone how to play disc golf. I'm excited. I'm playing with a couple people this weekend. Um, one is Jared that I've played with before, and he's still fairly new. And another guy, Colton, he's played for about 10, 15 years, but hasn't ever really played you know, consistently and those kinds of things. So I'm excited to play with some uh, people who are still learning the game, still having fun. I cannot wait. Make sure you go ahead and teach someone, give a word of encouragement. Make sure you also go out and play some disc golf this weekend. We had some unfortunate bad weather last weekend, so I didn't get to play as much as I was wanting. So I'm super excited for this upcoming weekend. So make sure you go ahead and play as well. And that is all for episode 29 of Teach Play Disc Golf. I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I'll see you next time. Have a great round. Mm -hmm.